Welcome to the Birthing Instincts Podcast. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbein, community-based practicing obstetrician and longtime advocate for birth choices. And I'm Bliss Young, a licensed midwife. Join us in our conversational style podcast where we talk about everything birth. Sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry, but we're happy that you're here. So here we go. Good morning. Good morning. Good afternoon, good evening, and good middle of the night. We haven't said that for a while, so I thought I would. So, so here we are again. <laughs> Back together. Sort of. We're sort of together. Yeah. Well, you're always together. I'm often disheveled, but that's no, just the way. No, that is that is definitely not true. But I meant you are our, our proximity. And I was thinking that today. I was thinking, oh, I kind of wish we were together for this conversation. But soon we're going to be together in about 10 days. Yeah, I'm just trying to think for a second. That's West. So I'm actually three feet closer to you since you turned my desk around. <laughs> and changed the whole feng shui of my office. I know. We just need the little thing back there to make it presentable. Me too. What little thing? You know, well, you know, when people are on... Um, zoom and stuff some people have it like all dialed in like behind them it's like all these cool pictures we, we have to up our game <laughs> yeah you know uh one of our instagram listeners offered to make a painting for me somebody lives in utah and i really like her work nice so i'm i i'm gonna have to follow up with that because normally i, I don't pursue gifts but <laughs> i would pursue this one because she nice. has really nice paintings so that's, that's great beautiful. Okay, well, I almost went to Costa Rica yesterday. I'm glad you didn't. Well, I got offered to come down and do a breach delivery down there. Wow, that's kind of cool. And I was excited because the timing would work out perfectly because I'm not driving cross country now. The beast is going to have to sit on the driveway for longer because of the eye. It's just not wise for me to be driving. And especially I can't drive at night now because of the brightness and the starbursts of the light. But they they attempted a version yesterday, or the, maybe it was the day before yesterday, and the baby baby turned. So I was extremely okay. disappointed. Aww. And the reason I'm saying I'm glad you didn't is not because I don't think it would be super cool for you to go to Costa Rica. It's because I think you should be resting. I'm going to be the midwife for you like I am with my clients when they don't want to rest postpartum. Now you know why our postpartum moms have a hard time staying in bed. Oh, listen, I know this forever. I mean, you prescribe a seven-day antibiotic course for people. Mm -hmm. You're lucky if they take it for two days. Really? The, oh, yeah. I mean, maybe you don't, but I think that most people, they give it, you know, they feel better, they stop taking it. That's just sort of what happens. We tell people, oh, you've got to take it. And you know what? That instruction of telling people when they have a UTI to take it for five days or seven days, I'm not even sure what that's based on. Because like everything else that we talk about, a lot of this stuff is just made up. That's true. But resting after a surgery or after having a baby is not. Well, what would you think I'd be doing every day in Costa Rica? <laughs> I'd, just That's be, true. I'd, be, I'd be sitting on the beach. That's resting. true. <laughs> Probably more so than when I stay home. That's true. <laughs> and run around and do chores and mow the lawn and. Oh my oh, goodness gracious. Yeah. I don't want to hear it. La, 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 la. Anyway, okay. I moved into my new place in Santa Barbara. And Let's I am, hear about it. 
I'm really excited to, um, well, you know, I've been moving around for two years since I left LA. Like I've been in hope, I've been traveling, I had a sublease, I had like, you know, all of these things where I didn't really have my things and my own place. And so I finally have all of my own stuff here. And I just have this gorgeous view, this big, huge yard. It's very private. I have like, (laughs) my friend came over yesterday and she's like, you know, you have like a $4 million view. (laughs) Trust me, you guys, I'm not paying $4 million, but I really lucked out. And it's one of those times when you know, I, I know that not, not all of our listeners are spiritual like me, but I'm a deeply spiritual person. And I feel like there are times in life when, you know, someone's looking out for you and someone wants you to just kind of have a break, you know, a little bit of grace. So this is the very first place I looked at. The guy hadn't even listed it. Um, those of you who don't know the app next door, it's kind of a cool thing because you get to know your neighbors a little bit and a more technological way than we used to. And I posted something on Nextdoor, like, you know, my story and what, who I am and what I'm looking for. And I got it. It's just unbelievable. So I'm really, really excited. And I've got it all set up because I'm going to be traveling for three weeks, doing all kinds of cool stuff this summer, which I will share with the podcast because most of it has to do with midwifery. So it'll be nice when I come back and I come back on call, my place will already all be set up and ready. Because as a birth worker, I I feel like all birth workers are like this, but maybe it's just you and I. Um, But I need things like I need to know where everything is so that in the middle of the night when I'm stumbling to (laughs) make it to my car and find my keys, I don't have, you know, like all my stuff is organized. So, um, yeah. Could you tell I'm excited? Yeah, I could tell by your posts and and the pictures that you posted, too, that it is it looks beautiful. And I know Montecito. It's a. It's a it's a gorgeous area. I mean, four million dollars might get you a, a small guest house there, but but uh, <laughs> I but yeah, in. No, it, uh, nothing could make me happier than to see you happy. Thanks. So, because you deserve you deserve it. I do. And uh, you know, as whoever said it, King Solomon, whoever said it, uh, you know, um, this too shall pass. So yeah. we shouldn't get too sad or too happy because things will come around. No, I mean, I'm going to be happy. <laughs> okay. I'm going to I'm going to soak up every ounce of the happy, but I get what you're saying. No, and yeah, it's great and you have these old oak trees, these ancient oaks and stuff in that in your neighborhood and it's it's beautiful. Yes. It's a great it's a great place. Congratulations uh on getting that. Thank you. And now you're going to stay put for a while. I am. Mm-hmm. Right. Do you want to yeah. tell us a little about about your travels coming up your 3 weeks or did you want to save that sure. for the future? So um, I'm leaving um, on the 10th. I'm driving to Sedona to take Hope to see my brother. He has a new house in Sedona. So I'm going to visit there for a little bit. And then um, you and I and Nathan Riley and Hayes Hawk and all kinds of other amazing people are meeting up in um, Kentucky. And we're doing a Breach Twin Conference for a few days there. And so I'm tickled pink about that. And I was thinking, Stu, I don't know if I told you, but I was thinking maybe I'll do like a little like a couple, some lives, like little like red carpet interviews with all of the people. It might be kind of fun uh, on my Instagram while I'm there. We could do that. Oh, yeah. Or we could do it together. We could interview. Yeah, um, if you're around, I thought you might be presenting. Well, but yeah. No, I'm only presenting a couple of things, but. But there's going to be a lot of downtime in that. I mean, he he booked in a lot of like uh, 
foo-foo stuff, you know, um, good self-healing, self-help stuff, you know, good. not the typical stuff that you're going to get at a breach conference. Um, no, because Nathan isn't the typical kind of guy. And then, I don't know, you and I have to talk about it, but Stu and I maybe are going four hours away to drive to um, the farm in Tennessee and then go back to Memphis and enjoy a little bit of music and Memphis food. And then I get on a plane and meet Lindsay Milas in Sayulita, Mexico for her retreat for a few days. It's a midwifery retreat out there. And then I have a few days love downtime by myself. So I'll travel around some places in Mexico. And then I'm going to Baja for a um, traditional midwifery postpartum um, training with the traditional midwives in Mexico for four days. So I'm tickled pink about all of the learning and connecting and uh, beauty that I will be experiencing in the next few weeks. Well, you know, now that they say men can get pregnant, I want to get pregnant so I can have you as my midwife. <laughs> can, I, can I do that? Because you're going to um, be so wise. You're going to be wiser than you already are. And that's like almost impossible. So no, that's really cool. we can always keep learning. All of us. That's correct. We can. And I keep learning. I keep learning all the time. We do. Um, yeah. Right. And then the podcast actually keeps me learning because you make me. Because <laughs> <laughs> I give you, I give you tasks. Whoops. You do. You give me tasks. Okay. So, um, I'm not sure what topic we're going to get to today, but we're going to get to something because I've got a lot of stuff to go through. And if we decide that we have time, then we might talk about a topic. But I know that Bliss loves to have a topic, uh, but our I wasn't inspired. Love our topics. Yeah, but I wasn't inspired by the two topics you sent me this week. So I don't know. I dropped the ball, but but it's I got okay. a lot. Listen, we, we, I, I, you and I could just chat for an hour and that would, it would still be fascinating. So I just want to say that I, I the other night I watched a webinar from the Canadian COVID Care Alliance, and they're going to be starting a campaign, I think, tomorrow, which will probably be obviously two weeks ago when by the time this podcast comes out, where they're putting out a video that explains so much about the tyranny that went on with the last pandemic and the whole idea of what we've done by giving this vaccine to pregnant women and breastfeeding women and how we've just completely ignored the precautionary principle, which I will talk about a little bit later in the podcast today. And we've done something we've never done before. And we never, didn't we learn from thalidomide and DES and other things about not doing this sort of thing. And then we did it, we did it again anyway. So it was, I watched the video. It's, it's, it's really well done. It's only like, four or five minutes long, I think, maybe a little bit longer. Um, and we're going to try to get a campaign going where everybody promotes this video. So if you guys will see this on your feed, or you've already seen it because it's obviously it's two weeks ago, but if it's even now, just keep pushing it because we want it to go viral. We want it to reach critical mass where people who wouldn't normally hear or see this stuff are going to, it's going to pop up in their feeds. So you'll watch for it. It's awesome. from the Canadian COVID Care Alliance. Oh, and the, and the usual and some of the usual suspects were on that. It was really good. Um, a woman from Finland who's on a lot, a doctor, and then James Thorpe was there again, and some people I didn't recognize, but they were were telling the stories about about all the mis I guess to use a kind word the misadventures of what this has done and what they've seen 
with miscarriages and placentas and stillbirths and and other problems and how this stuff was never tested and never supposed to be used in in anybody but let alone pregnant women and breastfeeding women so you know while you were saying that Stuart reminded me of a meme I saw yesterday from Birth Uprising and it says so let me get this straight we don't test vaccines or medications on pregnant women because that would be unethical but it's totally ethical to recommend an untested product to that same population thereby making them unknowing participants in an experiment gotcha <laughs> it's exactly what you're talking about you know like yeah so great yeah there's also a crazy meme out there and again it's i'm not trying to bring this up for this to be controversial although i am always controversial but but <laughs> it said something to the effect that so your your genitalia doesn't define your gender but how come cutting off your genitalia defines your gender yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We'll yeah. leave it at that. We'll leave um, it at that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh speaking of uh things that shouldn't be happening, the the news this week, there's more sudden cardiac events happening in young people. I don't know if you saw that LeBron James's son had a cardiac arrest on the basketball court. He's 19 years old or 20 years old or something like that. Our friend uh Dr. Joel Gator, Warsh. Had a had a thing on Instagram, and I just wanted to give a shout out to him about essentially, you know, we owe it to these seemingly healthy young athletes to figure out what is going on, don't we? So we we need we we need to remove our bias and figure out what is happening, not worry about what the answer might be, and not be afraid to ask. I mean, you look at news stories, you look at news stories about these events, and there's one question that is never in the news story. And it's the obvious question. And everybody knows what the question is. Was the kid vaccinated? Right. Whether you love the vaccine or hate the vaccine, it's a reasonable question to ask when these things are happening. And they're trying to to gaslight us and tell us, oh, this happens all the time. No, this didn't happen all the time. Once in a blue moon, there was Lenny Bias and there was Hank Gathers who played for Loyola Marymount. And then we had, you know, once in a blue moon, you'd see somebody drop. Recently, just on on uh, on ESPN, an announcer was wearing a suit. They was talking to another guy. He started to wobble, and he completely collapsed. And then the news article says, well, it was 86 degrees outside. It was probably too hot. It's like, well, wait a minute. Okay. Nobody else fainted. And 86 isn't really that hot. Right. They didn't mention anything else. They mentioned They explained it away as probably it was the heat. It's not the heat. Okay, come on. uh, Right. So that's that. And speaking of more controversial stuff, that should not be controversial, by the way. There was a post by uh, Almost Holistic Allie on Instagram where she's talking about the the significance of well-child visits to the pediatrician. And you and I have discussed this before. So I just took one, I took screenshot of one of the slides on her presentation, but it says, I understand wanting to establish care somewhere for the times when you might feel it might be necessary to seek a medical opinion on something, but taking your baby to well checks with no intention to give them shots just opens you up to being bullied by the staff and gives ample opportunity for medical professionals to find something medically wrong with your child. Have you ever heard the term? You'll always find it, what you're, you'll always find what you're looking for. I've said this many times before. The only reason that 
children go in for well child visits is to get shots. And if pediatricians didn't have shots to give your children, they'd all go broke. You're smiling. Bliss is smiling. Well, you know, I'm, I, I know the sentiment. Um, however, what's coming to my mind is finding a provider that aligns with your values of how you want to care for your children. And I think about my pediatrician, uh, Nancy Blumstein, who was in um, Los Angeles, and she was amazing. And I did take her, I did take my kids annually because she had to sign a form um, so that they could go to camp, right? So every year you'd have to go and get the form done, blah, 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 blah. And I always felt like it was a pain in the ass and probably didn't need to do it because my kids were healthy and whatever. But, you know, there were so many little nuggets that her as a wise woman would share with me. I mean, she was the one who knew that Grant had ADHD when he was a wee, wee baby, like not baby, but like toddler. And, you know, when she said it to me, she's like, she mentioned something about his activity level when Sky was being seen for something else. And I was, at first I was a little taken aback, but she was absolutely right. And so, you know, um, I think if you're going, if you're somebody who, you know, aligns with the values of this podcast and wants to do things more naturally and follow their instincts and stuff like that, then going to a traditional doctor in any way, if you're not sick, is probably not going to meet your needs. But if you go to a naturopath or a DO or a um, acupuncturist or a chiropractor, they have so many pieces of wisdom to share with you. So I think it's about just making sure that you find a provider that is like-minded and then you'll, and then you'll learn all kinds of really amazing things. Yeah. And that may require you to go outside of your insurance plan. I never uh, got my insurance never covered it. <laughs> right. Yeah. But most, but I'm just saying that most pediatricians. Yeah. Are not like your Dr. Blaustein or whatever. Is that her name? Blaustein? Blumstein. Blumstein. Yeah. yeah. Most pediatricians are not like that. Yeah. They're not. And they're not like Dr. Warsh, Dr. Yeah. Gator. You know, they're, they're not, they don't have the time to give you and, the, and they, and they shame you if you don't get vaccinated. They're and you know, we've talked about it before, but but a lot of a lot of pediatricians who work for major corporations and stuff like that, they're given they're given incentives and bonuses based on having a certain percentage of people vaccinated in their practice. There were I read something, and again, yeah, I read something doesn't mean it's true, of course not. But I read something recently that said that if a doctor has say two thousand children in their practice and they can get something like two thirds of them vaccinated that the vaccine company will give them $400 for every child in their care. So that's wow. a huge financial incentive. Now, whether yeah. that's true or not, I don't know. But my experience would tell me that, yeah, it probably is true. Yeah. Because the, that's just, we're finding more and more uh, corruption and tyranny and, and uh, unethical behavior in pharmaceutical companies and doctors who follow along with them, as long and as well as the organizations like the American Academy of Pediatrics or the American College of OBGYN, that sort of thing. Now, you mentioned that you had to get vaccinated for, uh, or you're not vaccinated. You had to get an exam to go to camp. The kids had yeah. to get one or yeah. to go to school. Yeah. Let me ask a question: Why? 
Who started that? Yeah. We just automatically fell for it and did it. But who started you know, that? I did know the, that they did didn't the, need it, but yes, the, that's something that the law, they Yeah. Did the lawyers for the camp start it? Were the camps lobbied by the American Academy of Pediatrics to do it? Yeah. Yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. Because what? why? They don't need a, a letter from your pediatrician to go down to the park and play stickball. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> Or to go canoeing on the lake, or to or to you know go on the rope swing. I know uh, it's liability. I understand what you're saying. <laughs> right. Oh. Well, so the question is why why do we all just like sheep go along with the ride? Mm-hmm. You know, um, mm-hmm. right? We need to change all that. The whole yeah. everything about the thing about the the meth. You know, it's it, it's all in bed together. Yes, it creates business. It's good for business, not good for people. So we have a new sponsor, Bliss. Dr. Lindsay has been our friend for a really long time. She's been a birth colleague. And her company, BirthFit, is focused on supporting women throughout the motherhood transition with general strength and conditioning programs for preconception, pregnancy, and postpartum. Isn't that awesome? Like any phase of the journey, you can use their programs. They even have a B community where you can go to if you're trying to conceive or if you know you want to in the next one to three years, which is awesome. They have a lying in program, which is in the first, you know, beginning of postpartum. Like what they say is even a day after you can start to get into this. It's 30 days, one video a day, less than 10 minutes that focus on reconnecting and honoring your body in the immediate postpartum period. They use breathing exercises, visualization, belly massages, so cool. And then they have an extended program called Postpartum Program. It's a 12-week program focused on building a base level of general physical fitness with simple lifts, tempo work, and of course, breath work. And all of the work that they do um, requires no or minimal equipment. Um, So you can do it right out of your home. Um, And then, of course, they have the prenatal program. They have a a basic 30-day program where no equipment is necessary. I guess you can kind of test out and see if you like their their vibe. And then they have a more extensive program, the prenatal training program, which is a full-term strength and conditioning program. Um, I mean, wow. Yeah, I've I've known Lindsay for a really long time. She was a chiropractor in L.A. before, before they fled and moved to Texas. <laughs> uh, anyway, we, we support them wholeheartedly because this kind of a program is great for our, our clients and most of our listeners. Yeah. Um, so you go to birthfit.com. That's B-I-R-T-H-F-I-T.com. Use the code INSTINCTS1, all caps, INSTINCTS1 with the number, not the not one, but the number, to get a discount on the basics prenatal program or use code INSTINCTS2 to get a discount on the basic postpartum program. All right. So we love BirthFit. Uh, it's OB and midwife approved. That's right. And right. please support them. And congratulations on your pregnancy, Lindsay. Thanks for joining the team. Welcome to the Birthing Instincts neighborhood. Speaking of uh, that, I, I'll get to it in a second, but I just, I, I have a question because it just came up and I mentioned ACOG and stuff like that. And I'm just wondering, I'm going to ask listeners to maybe uh, comment on this, but you know, I'm a member of ACOG. You know, I'm no longer a fellow because I don't, I'm not board certified. So I'm just what's called an associate of ACOG. And I pay my $800 every year or every two years. I can't remember. I think it's every year, some ridiculous amount of money to be a member of ACOG. And the question I have, knowing how 
what I know now about the corruption of the of the organization, should I continue to be to support them and be a member? Or should I continue to be a member because it keeps it keeps my I have a foot in the door and I can I get their publications and I can tell what's going on and I can read their newsletters. So I don't know what to do because ethically I don't want to be giving them money. Yeah. Yep. Like the AMA, I've never been a member of. And I don't care about the AMA. I mean, I do care because they're corrupt and they they do bad things. But I never, but, but ACOG does some good stuff. I put out, like I use a lot of their information for some of the stuff I use on podcast, but I also temper it with, you know, our, our loving style <laughs> when we go over their stuff. Plus I get their newsletters all the time. And it often tells me that some of the tyranny that they're talking about, which I'm going to get into a little bit today, they've got a, they put out a thing about ethical um, considerations for OBs during a pandemic. And I wanted to go through that a little bit just to point out what they're telling what they're telling doctors to do so i'm going to ask listeners what do you think stay with acog or not give them my money anymore yeah i mean i get the not supporting the money thing but i think you being a a member of acog in terms of being a the podcast host i think it's i think it's good because 90 something percent of people are still going to OBs and going to the hospital. And so I think that's a really helpful perspective um, of, you know, some of the studies and some of the things that they say, but it's a, it's a conundrum. That's for sure. It it does. Yeah. It bothers me a little bit, especially when I have to write the check. (laughs) (laughs) Especially then. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, um, Instagram listener Corinne sent me something which I thought was really interesting about naturopathic medicine. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned it earlier yeah. as an alternative. But a lot of us don't really know what the principles of naturopathic medicine are. Okay. Do you? Principles? There's six, there six of them. There's six of them, supposedly. No, I don't, I don't think I know the principles. Let's hear them. Yeah, yeah. let's hear them. Okay. <laughs> You'll see why in a minute. <laughs> okay. First one is first do no harm or primum non nocere in Latin. Same as medicine. Yeah. Harm should not be inflicted by neglect of symptoms or by overuse of medicines. Hmm. Naturopathic medicine is intended to be gentle and effective using the lowest force of intervention to shift a patient towards health. Mm-hmm. Okay. Number two is, I can't say this wrong, talicosum, which means treat the cause not just the effect. A collection of symptoms is the language that the body uses to communicate. Mm -hmm. These symptoms are valuable clues that can be used to determine the cause of the illness. Rather than treating the symptoms, naturopathic medicine aims to determine and to treat the true cause of the illness. Yep. For instance, in my world, if a woman comes in with irregular cycles when she's 18 years old, we might draw a couple of labs and stuff like that. And then what do we do? Put her on the pill. Put her on the pill. I mean, I don't, but <laughs> yeah. Right. That's what medicine does. Just take this. You won't have these menstrual irregularities. When you're ready to have a baby, you'll get off the pill. But the underlying problem will still be there. The underlying cause of what was causing the problem is not, you know, it's minimally investigated to rule out anything major like a tumor or some other problem, bleeding disorder or whatever. But once that's ruled out, it's just here, take this and don't worry about it. That's not the way of naturopaths. No. And it's a big problem, but yeah. 
Great. Okay. Holy totem. Treat the whole person. Yeah. Body, mind, and spirit. The essence of a person's health reaches beyond their physical or mental symptoms. Reconnecting with our wholeness is a vital component of health. Consideration of social and environmental influences are also important to understand the wholeness of both the individual and the community. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, no, because I mean, that's midwifery too. In allopathic medicine, it breaks the body up into, into parts. Mm-hmm. Right. My eyeball is all that my eye doctor cares about. Right. Right. I mean, if he asked me how I'm doing when I come in for a follow-up visit, he really doesn't want to know. It's a figure of speech. <laughs> Seriously. You should sit there and tell him all of the of really how you're doing, like a 10-minute dissertation so that, you know, he gets that he should care. Well, I can't tell somebody how I'm doing in a, in a, in a three-minute office visit right so they don't yeah so the the huge difference yeah and i love that Mm -hmm. but in order to do that you also have to have the time to be able to do that so number four is doser that's latin i guess doctor as teacher the word doctor originates from the latin verb doser which translates into english as to teach right remember we talked about physician means somebody else something else but Doctor means to teach. Education about health is an important aspect of patient care. Yeah. When a doctor provides explanations about the mechanisms of the body, the patient can make educated choices about their health and take an active role in their well-being. But of course, that would require appointments that give you the time to do such a thing. Yeah. Again, another major difference between naturopathy. Is it naturopathy or... Naturopathy, 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 and, naturopathy, and um, allopathic medicine. Mm-hmm. Uh, number five, very important one, vis meditrix naturae. What's that sound like? The healing part of nature. Mm-hmm. The body has a natural ability to heal. An abundance of healing can be received through connection to nature and utilization of the natural medicines that are available to us. I think that's so important. Natural immunity is what our body's designed to do. And if you eat healthy and exercise, you strengthen your immune system. The idea for the first time in human history that we were told that vaccine immunity is better than natural immunity is another one of the dumbest pieces of propaganda that we that many of, not all of us, but many people fell for because they, they made the mistake of trusting the source. If you want to go even deeper than that. I do. Yeah. If you want to go deeper than that, we are intended to live symbiotically with nature, all of it. So we're intended to eat the food. We're intended to live amongst the land and take care of the land and the water and the herbs and the plants give back to us. You know, this is And that's where the big disconnect is now. You know, you think about like the scientific advances, AI, like all of this stuff that's like, it's, it's just an extension of what we talk about all the time. Like we have all these products and stuff that are supposed to make our life easier when we become parents. But what they do is they really separate us from the natural instincts of being with our baby, holding our baby, following their cues. 
this is just like a ripple out in a bigger way that like all of these advances that we have can be great, but what it's doing is it's disconnecting us from nature. It's disconnecting us from, from the animals and the plants that are, we're all supposed to be working together to be healthy. And so, you, you know, that's like, when you really start to get into it, it's much bigger than just that microcosm of it. It is. Yeah. It is. I mean, I, I know that we had a conversation last week about uh, uh, breastfeeding and about formula, you and I and a couple of friends of ours. And it's fascinating because, because why do you, I mean, the only reason that humans need formula, except for in rare occasions where breast milk isn't satisfactory in amount, um, is for convenience. I mean, how many chimpanzees use formula? None. Well, I mean, I guess in a zoo, if they're trying to save the baby or something, they would use something like that. But yeah, you're right. I understand what you're saying. Well, right. If there's, yeah. And, and listen, yeah, nature is cruel. It's formidable. It's not, it's not evil, but it's formidable and it's cruel because babies do die and, yeah. you know, and we don't want that to happen, but it happens in all species. And yes, there are probably some that could be saved by intervention, but but again, the, the 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 it's stage one thinking because they never think further down the path about what are all these interventions doing. As you just said, they're disconnecting us from all the things you know that make life sort of worth living in some way. I yeah. mean, I'm so fortunate that like you are now in your new space. I'm so fortunate that I found a space where every day I'm outside against medical advice, <laughs> pulling weeds, <laughs> mowing the lawn, um, walking in the grass, swimming, being outside, sitting in my rocking chair, watching a, a thunderstorm approach. Or recently we had, you know, there's fireworks recently for, we had a pioneer day here, which was a nice little festival and they had fireworks just sitting outside and watching this as the sun, not even watching the sun goes down, just listening to the sounds. The wind in the trees, the birds chirping, the, the that it, it's so different than my years in Studio City or in downtown Los Angeles, 100%. Um, where I had a sterile it was a sterile metallic environment. It, it's healing. Anyway, that was number. That was number and five. I want, wait, I want to say one more thing, right? Because it came to my brain. Good. You know, it's really easy for us to say they. They are disconnecting us from this. They are that this. You know, it's outside of ourselves. But the truth is, it's it's really up to us to be able to stand for what it is that we know is going to bring us to homeostasis, is going to bring us to health, is going to bring our family into the best possible scenario. And I know that it's not always easy because it's a it's it's a big machine out there. But there are ways to stand up and to carve things out for yourself. And so, you know, don't always put it out there as to someone else's responsibility. It's really within ourselves to find that. Yeah. I mean, the propaganda machine is huge. And, and again, if you yeah. don't watch television or don't watch commercials, you're going to not, you're going to get less. The problem of course, is that pretty much everyone these days, not everyone, but pretty much everyone is on social media and social media is just fraught with things you know, I was talking about getting a saw to cut off some branches, like a little electric handheld, not a chainsaw, but it's just a little blade. And, you know, suddenly in my feed, I'm getting ads for chainsaws. <laughs> it's like, so we, you know, we are, we are inundated, but, you know, I can't, 
in our role, it's hard for me to be off social media. Yeah. But, but an ideal thing is to take a break from it. You know, there are people that do like off the grid weeks or off the grid uh, month or off the grid August. I know that a guy named Dave Rubin, who I listen to sometimes does off the grid August. And he just goes off with his partner and uh, they've adopted or they've, yeah, I guess they've adopted two boys. So they're a gay couple with two boys and they go off the grid and they go and they don't, you know, and his whole, his whole thing is social media. I mean, his whole life is social media uh, and he stops for a month and does nothing, but stay with his family and do his thing. And I think that that's admirable. Yeah. Great. Number six, last number six is Prevenir. I'm saying that wrong. Prevention is the best cure. Positive actions that are taken today can have a profound influence on health. It is never too late to start taking positive actions toward health. Sometimes the first step toward prevention is starting a conversation with someone who can help guide you toward your health goals. So that's why people who say, oh, I've been drinking for 30 years. I'm not going to stop now. Well, we know that if you stop now, your liver will heal itself. Right. If it's (laughs) same thing with smoking. Uh, you can smoke for 20 years and, and then if you stop smoking, your risks of heart disease and stuff almost goes back to normal. So you can, you can fix those things. So the reason that Corinne sent me these things is because she's in college in naturopathics college. And she says her college has content that says vaccines are quote, safe and effective, unquote. It's like, I just read six principles. Yeah. And then they have, you know, how is it that part of the six naturopathic principles, how is that part of it? That vaccines are safe and effective. I mean, it goes pretty much against every single principle that they talked about. Yeah. So again, my question is who bought them off? My feeling is that the college of naturopathy, if they have an organization like ACOG or or the Society for Maternal Fetal Medicine, or the American Academy of Pediatrics, or the British equivalents, or any other major country's equivalents, they're bought off. Because vaccines are not safe and effective. First of all, some of them may be effective, we don't know. But you can't say that they're safe because they've never been tested. Yeah. None of them in a randomized, double-blinded, placebo-controlled trial. And so it gets back again to the the precautionary principle as well, in that we're we're recommending these things to people without any evidence that there's benefit from them. You look at me like I'm. Sometimes you think I say saying I say things that you don't think, and you don't have to agree with me. I know. But I'm I become more and more certain. Mm-hmm. You know, you're supposed to be skeptical of people who are certain, but I but I am. Um, becoming more and more certain that this whole thing was a, was a sham. Yeah. I'm smiling at you because I don't necessarily know that they were bought off because um, what I'm hearing from midwifery students is that midwifery schools are saying very similar things about vaccines um, and about a lot of other things that are very interesting, uh, which I won't get into today. We can talk about on a different, on a different topic, but um Yes, she's making the money sign. But um, I, I think that 
you know, it's the same thing that we were talking about when we were in the middle of the lockdown, you know, people that we did not expect to um, kind of buy into the whole thing did. And I don't, you know, that goes back to the psychology and I don't totally understand, but I am going to continue to stay aligned with the values that makes sense to me, which is what we talk about on the podcast and what a lot of what you just read in, in terms of the tenets of naturopathy, because I think that our voices, what you and I are talking about, um, resonates with a lot of people that they're not buying into it. And so, you know, that to me is a very important part of what we do. Yeah. Every time you say that, I think that that's true with the people that are our fellow travelers with us, but then again, I think of my family and I think that, you know, everybody knows what I do. None of my family have had a home birth and, or wouldn't even think of it. <laughs> and almost all of my family were vaccinated. Yeah. Pretty much yeah. everyone I know. Yeah. So you say that people are hearing and waking up, but I'm not so sure. And I think everybody listening has the same issue with a lot of their friends and family members too. No, I didn't say I think people are waking up. I just said I think there are oh, people that uh, are aligned with that, that when they hear what we're saying, it rings true for them. And that's not everybody. And that's fine. We don't have to be for everybody. But I think that the the point is, is that we're speaking clearly about what's, what is uh, common sense for us and that the people who are aligned with it are finding us. And I think that's great. We're going to talk a little bit about our sponsor, Needed. We love them. They have an amazing company. And you know what, you guys? Your prenatal nutrition isn't cutting it. So they redesigned the prenatal vitamin for you to be optimally nourished. They came out with a new product. I mean, I just feel like every time I turn around, they've got a new amazing product. And this one is an immune support. It's easy to take delicious elderberry powder to support optimal immune health for the whole family. You know, I was hiking the other day and I saw an elderberry bush. You recognized it? Of course not. <laughs> no. Really impressed. No, but the midwife I was with recognized it right away. 70% um, of the immune system resides in the gut. So comprehensive support is needed. Most immune support products aren't designed for all ages and stages. Their immune support is safe and effective for the whole family kids, pregnant, and nursing moms included. So that is perfect for our followers. Yeah, so go to their website at uh, thisisneeded.com and look through their products. I mean, not only do they have a prenatal vitamin, uh, which we recommend, but they have sleep and relaxation support, stress support, hydration support, collagen, a pre and probiotic, which I think is a good thing um, yeah. for a lot of us to be taking, yeah. especially if you have immune issues or if you uh, had recently taken antibiotics or something like that. They have a whole thing for men, so you can men can look at that at their website as well. So again, we love their we love their sponsor. And what makes them different is optimal nutrient forms, dosages that help you thrive, easy to take at all stages of pregnancy. They were formulated with practitioners, and they're recommended by over three thousand women health experts, just like us. And I was going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I stole your. You stole it. No. Okay. So go to thisisneeded.com. Just spell it out and use the code birthing instincts to get 20% off your first order. Thisisneeded.com. I think you get 20% off every order, but just, mm -hmm. just uh, use the code word birthing instincts at thisisneeded.com. Thanks, Needed. Thank you. Yeah. And if anybody listening has any access or knowledge about, do these organizations like ACOG or NARM 
um, do they have to disclose who donates money to them? Because uh, I know that like politicians do. And you, you know, you can get a list of donors from them. It would be interesting to see who's donating money to these organizations and where, where their revenue is coming from. Cause it's not coming from dues. You can't support yourself on dues. So it's coming from other sources. It'd be really interesting to figure that out. I would, I would doubt that anybody's donating money to NARN, but, but yes, it would be interesting. Well, I'm just talking about maybe the pharmaceutical companies are, if you're talking about them changing, well, but you're saying they're changing their policies and they're supporting things that are medic more medical than they used to be. Right. Yeah. But I don't think that has to do with them getting any money. I think they're just buying along with the movement. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Mm. <laughs> okay. Okay. So um, see, we're already, we're already two thirds through the podcast. And <laughs> I know. <laughs> okay. I know. Right. So this is how it goes. All right. So the American College of OBGYN uh, put out statement number six, in their obstetrics and gynecology uh, journal, which is the green journal. And it's called ethical considerations for the delivery of obstetric and gynecologic care during a pandemic. So do they know something that you and I don't know? <laughs> is, is there another one coming? I don't know. <laughs> I, I hope not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So I'm going to read a little bit from it. I, I took out my highlighter so that, you know, I read this stuff so that listeners don't have to. It says, this information is designed as an educational resource to aid clinicians in providing obstetrics and gynecologic care, and the use of this information is voluntary. Now, every time I'm going to pause for a second, I'm going to give my commentary. Uh, yeah, it's voluntary, but, but you know, it's kind of like put a gun to your head, voluntary. It is not intended to substitute for the independent professional judgment of the treating clinician. Of course it is. I was going to say, unless you're the ones that they're trying to uh, reprimand for not giving the information that they want. You Correct. To. If you if you don't follow it, you'll get reprimanded, and if you or you'll get fired if you work for a a company that adopts these guidelines. <laughs> okay, so this one I, I put. Well, ACOG makes every effort to present accurate and reliable information. So I, I can see that little emoji guy with the two big eyes with the bugging out of his head. Okay. This publication is provided, quote, as is without any warranty of accuracy, reliability, or otherwise either expressed or implied. So in other words, they've got a disclaimer. They're putting this out, and then they've got a disclaimer that it's not our fault. They, they even go on and say, neither ACOG nor its officers, directors, members, employees, ooh, members, I'm, I'm covered, uh, or agents will be liable for any loss, damage, or claim with respect to any liabilities, including direct, special, indirect, or consequential damages incurred in connection with this publication or reliance on the information presented. So I wrote down, so what's the point? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Everything we're telling you has no bearing on anything, but we're going to tell you anyway. And then we're going to make you follow it or you're going to lose your job. Okay. So the abstract goes like this. The committee statement discusses ethics related to the provision of obstetrics and gynecological care during a pandemic caused by a highly transmissible pathogen. All right. They say obstetrics and gynecologists are obligated to protect themselves, their patients, and others by observing institutional, state, and federal guidelines for the appropriate isolation and care of patients with suspected and confirmed diseases. Okay. So, again, are they preparing us for what's 
another one that's coming. So they say summary, and I just went right to the summary of, because that's where I want to go of recommendations and conclusions. One, this one, you know, it's really difficult for me, some of these. During pandemics, it is ethically appropriate for the balance of clinical care to shift. Listen to this, please. Listen how they say it. The balance of clinical care to shift from routine clinical ethics that prioritize clinical outcomes for individual patients to a community-oriented ethical framework that prioritizes the general population's health. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, if I had heard that prior to what we just experienced, it would have totally made sense to me. I would have been like, yeah, that makes sense. However, given what we just experienced, and we know that from what I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, that they've evaluated that the lockdown actually did not do what they said it was going to do and caused a lot of of harm which we had been saying since the beginning, we should be running things too. Why don't they listen to us? But um, yeah, so I am a little bit more skeptical and more uh, critically thinking about, well, what is the virus in particular and how is it affecting people? So, but yeah. Obstetricians, gynecologists should counsel their patients, including pregnant and lactating patients, about the safety and efficacy of preventative and therapeutic measures against the pandemic disease as they become available. Okay. You said something about preventable, right? So that goes along with what we were talking about with naturopathy. And so one of the things- But they don't discuss those, right? They didn't discuss any of those. What we were talking about is getting outside, lowering your stress, vitamin D, zinc, eating really healthy, all of those things that are preventable, but you're right. They're talking about a vaccine, right? As prevention. Or, you know, or if you've got COVID, Paxlovid, you know. Right. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's it's great. You know, know, it's great to make a medicine that rhymes with the disease. So then you can make a commercial that does that. Wow. These measures should be discussed in an evidence-based and patient-centered manner through shared decision-making so that patients are able to make an informed decision about their use. Now, that sounds lovely. Yes. But it's absolutely not what they do. Exactly. And then they use that term evidence-based. But all the evidence that they used to coerce you originally was already known to be false. Pfizer and the F- and the uh, CDC knew it. They told you to do it anyway. And now that it's coming out, that it was all false. But they're hiding behind the fact that it was, well, it was evidence-based. No, it wasn't evidence-based. Evidence-based is bullshit unless the evidence is good. Okay. Keep moving. Choices of patients with decision-making capacity should be honored, including the choice to decline infectious disease screening or diagnostic testing. Okay. What's the hitch? Yeah, I'm <laughs> There's like got to be one. Yeah, yeah clinical institutions should develop protocols to manage patients who decline testing. Manage patients, by the way, manage me, okay. including potentially treating them as presumptively positive for infection. So, in other words, let's like in Canada, let's let's let somebody die from renal disease because we won't give him a transplant from his brother because he refused to be vaccinated. So we're going to, you know, we can't treat you because you could be positive and then whatever. So, I mean, this is, this is, I I don't even have a word. I'm, I'm, I'm speechless. 
To avoid their contribution to the spread of disease, obstetrician gynecologists without a recognized medical contraindication have an ethical obligation to be vaccinated against the causative agent of a pandemic per current state and federal law and Center for Disease Control and Prevention and ACOG guidelines. So this is a paper on, you know, on ethical behavior in a pandemic and how to do that. And then you're going to tell doctors that they have to be vaccinated. Right. And you're going to fire them if they don't. And that, you know, so what they're doing is they're, they've taken the money from big pharma and probably from the government to promote a line of thinking, which is oxymoronic to what their principle is. Because everything that I, most of the things I just read to you are unethical or, you know, propaganda or manipulative. Mm -hmm. And they're going to, and they're going to make them sound as if these are good guidelines for a pandemic. Lastly, on this one says, in conclusion, OBGYNs have a crucial role in advocating for obstetric and gynecologic care during a pandemic. Although the overall duty to patients does not change in a pandemic, the ethical focus must shift to optimizing community and public health rather than individual health. That's just conveniently changing the ethics to suit your your um, your position. You can't just do that. My ethical obligation is not to my community. My ethical obligation is to the people that contract with me to take care of them. Mm-hmm. Can I inform them of what ACOG tells me? Sure. But do I should I skew my counseling to funnel them down a path to get them to accept the fact that they need to do something for grandma next door? It's a hard one, but I hear what you're saying. You know, it's all about coercion. It's just it, it's coercion and dressed up in, in uh, what do they call it? In sheep's clothing. That's what it is. <laughs> all right. And lastly today. Because that's all we're going to have time for. Yep. Is this is an article um, that came out in, uh, what did it come out in? Oh, the Green Journal in August. So just now. And it was a called the effects of the ARRIVE trial on elective induction and obstetric outcomes in term nulliparous patients. And the ARRIVE trial for people that have lived in a hole is a randomized trial of induction versus inspectant management where they came out with the idea that inducing women at 39 weeks um, will slightly lower the C-section rate and not increase the morbidity rate. And therefore, women should be offered elective induction because we all know that giving artificial substances like Cytotec and Pitocin has no harm whatsoever and that (laughs) it doesn't change anything. And as Bliss was talking earlier about you know, nature's design and letting and, and letting our bodies do what nature intended them to do and stuff like that. There's no downside to intervene, interfering in that, right? Right. And we just did a whole episode about uh, induction. So those of you who missed it should go back and, and look at it. And um, a lot of the push for induction in the last years has been greatly influenced by this particular trial. I I was looking for something as you were talking because um, we don't always talk ahead of time about what what the plan is. And uh, Sarah Wickham, our, our friend Sarah Wickham, has a post about is induction at 39 weeks beneficial if you're black or brown? So because we know that uh, black and brown families, um, women, have a um, much higher risk of... of uh, 
maternal mortality um, in pregnancy, I think that's an interesting thing to look at as well. And and her bot the bottom line is no, it's not based on particularly on 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 um, <laughs> race. <laughs> the yeah, no, this paper actually out. this this paper actually did discuss the fact that that depending on the demographic, these things may not apply at all. And that's one of the one of the reason I'm reading this paper is because they come, you know, I think it's an honest assessment. They use statistical analysis, which is way beyond my ability to analyze. Um, but it seems like they did a really good job at looking at whether there was any benefit to doing this because they looked at. Oh, let me let me read. I'll read it. Great. The objective of this paper was to evaluate the effect of, of the publication of the arrived trial on perinatal outcomes in singleton term nulliparous patients. So single, you know, single pregnancy, I mean, one baby, first time moms at term. Nulliparous singleton, 39 weeks gestation. There were 13 hospitals in the Northwest region of the United States. The arrived trial came, the study went from January of 2016 to December of 2020. The arrived trial came out on August 9th of 2018. So right in the middle. Outcomes of interest were elective induction, unplanned cesarean birth, hypertensive disorders of pregnancy, a composite of perinatal <laughs> adverse outcomes. Remember, I don't like composites. The reason I don't like composites is because it usually means that no risk was in it of itself statistically significant. But if you bunch lump a bunch of things together, you might find some significance to it. But you can't lump things like broken necks and bruised scrotum in the same thing, but that's what they often do. Um, and then NICU admissions was the other thing. So the analysis included 28,256 births, 15 pre-arrived trial, 13,000 post-arrived trial. The rate of elective labor induction, okay, was 3.6% during the pre-arrived trial period and 10.8% post-arrived. Now by elective induction, they mean no other medical indication. Right. The problem, of course, is that many inductions are mislabeled as having a indication when the reasoning is thin at best. Right. Your fluid is on the lowish side. Is that a medical indication or is that an elective induction? So the numbers here are you can't, but you can see that the rate tripled just right. just after the arrived trial of purely elective induction, taking out all the facts that doctors will find reasons to induce you. Um, and they'll claim it's medical. In the interrupted time series analysis, elective induction increased by 42% immediately after the arrived trial publication. So doctors just sort of accepted it blindly. It came out and boop. So there's a lot of confirmation bias there. I think doctors were looking for a reason to justify scheduling things to make it more convenient for them. You think? You think? <laughs> There you are. Yeah. <laughs> there was no significant change in cesarean birth or hypertensive disorders of pregnancy. So they didn't find any change before or after, unlike the arrived trial, which dropped the C-section rate by 4% or something like that. After the arrived trial, there was no immediate change in adverse perinatal outcomes, but a statistically significant increase in trend of adverse perinatal events when compared with a declining trend that was occurring prior to the arrived trial. So in English, what that means is yeah. that there were there wasn't a great increase in adverse perinatal events after the arrived trial, but there was an increase 
from the decreasing trend that had that had been going on before. And so there'd been a lowering trend. Then suddenly they start inducing people and the, that lowering trend plateaus. What What do you mean by perinatal events, though? Well, they don't really define it here, but oh, okay. I'm assuming that it's any any um, morbidity. And I didn't I didn't know I didn't go into their methods that much because I, I didn't have time. Okay. <laughs> so I didn't do it. But but it's you know, perinatal events are the gonna things they're gonna talk about, whether it's uh, probably things like neonatal resuscitation, NICU admission, uh broken bones, those sorts of things. Okay. Element's a tasty electrolyte drink. They've been sponsoring us for a while with everything you need and nothing you don't. That means a lot of salt and, and with no sugar, as you like to say, none of the BS, just like us. It's formulated to help anyone with their electrolyte needs. It's perfectly suited to folks following a keto, low-carb, paleo diet, but not for our pregnant patients who shouldn't be on any of those. <laughs> okay, uh, But it's good for pregnant women. It's good for postpartum women. It's good for uh, birth workers. It's good for people who are outside working out. Summer's coming on. It's going to be hot and sweaty. Yeah, and it's grapefruit season. I just got my box. Yeah, well, not only is it grapefruit season, but but they also comes in a bunch of other flavors. Yeah. Watermelon, citrus, orange, raspberry, raw, your favorite. Mango chili. Lemon and chocolate, raspberry. Lemon course. habanero. Lemon habanero. What is a habanero anyway? It's a, it's a spicy chili. Okay. Yeah. There you go. You know, the other day I was at a very long birth and we went to get some electrolytes for the mom to see if we could help her with some of the things that she was dealing with. And we, every one of the birth workers that was there had some too. We're like, we all need it. Let's all have some element. Yeah. And, it, com- and it comes in a little packet so that you, you don't have any waste. Right. Like Great. throwing bottles away and stuff like that. You can just use it in your reusable container. We love that. That sort of thing. So we love that. So you go to drink element, that's drink L-M-N-T dot com backslash birthing instincts and you get a free sample pack with any order great thanks element thank you in august of 2018 the arrive trial reported that elective induction of labor at 39 weeks in low nulliparous pregnant women resulted in a 16 percent decrease in the risk of cesarean birth and a 36 percent decrease in the risk of hypertensive disorders of pregnancy which include either gestational hypertension or preeclampsia compared with its expectant management Despite national efforts to reduce cesarean birth, and then I break down to myself, like, really? What national efforts have there been to reduce cesarean birth? Particularly in the nulliparous term singleton vertex population, U.S. rates have remained high. And consequently, the results of the trial received considerable interest. So again, because things were so high, the C-section rates are high, and this said they lowered the rate by 16, was it 16% rate of C-section lowering? that it received considerable interest. And this was the reason that it was used uh, to implement this policy of induction, um, simply because of their their zeal to lower the C-section rate without looking carefully at really did it do that and what were the demographics and what were the downsides of it. Well, midwives would greatly lower the C-section rate. They don't seem to have significant interest in us. No, none. Strange. Yeah, not strange. All right. Concurrent with the publication of the arrived trial, the Society for Maternal Fetal Medicine stated that it was, quote, reasonable to offer elective induction of labor to low risk nulliparous women at 39 weeks and that further research should be conducted to measure the impact of this practice in settings other than the clinical trial. So that's that's surprising. That the fetal Society of Maternal Fetal Medicine would come out at the same time and have the same conclusion as the arrived trial. Fascinating. Mm -hmm. Shocking. 
strange. So based on so based on this data, the people who wrote this paper hypothesized that publication in the arrive trial would result in a population level increase in elective induction of labor in nulliparous patients at 39 weeks of gestation and a subsequent decrease in both cesarean birth and hypertensive disorders of pregnancy with no increase in perinatal events. That was their hypothesis. But it's not what they found. So let's see what they found. The overall rate of labor induction in the study population was 38.5%. Right? So the overall, so we talked the last in our induction podcast that it was over 30%, and you said it was higher. And I said, yeah, it probably is higher. And you were right. And in this, in this study, they found it was 38.5%. Um, you probably think it's higher than that, but the rate of election induction of labor was 7%. So of those 38.5%, one in five of them was for elective induction. The other four-fifths were for medical reasons, some of which were probably legitimate and some of which we know are not legitimate. Mm -hmm. Elective labor inductions represented 10.5% of all inductions in the pre-arrived period, compared with 25.2% of all inductions in the post-arrived period. So in other words, it was the election of was labor was, was lower and then after the um, arrive trial, it it went up two and a half times the rate of elective induction. I know these numbers are confusing, but just think in your mind, the trend was that elective induction went up. So this is basically confirmation bias because the interrupted series showed a 42% increase in the risk of elective induction of labor in the four-week period immediately after the publication of the arrive trial. So it essentially proved what doctors wanted it to prove. And therefore, they adopted it immediately. A 42% in rate of induction increase in the first month after it came yeah. out. Yeah. Everybody was ready to adopt it. I mean, things don't get adopted in policy that quickly in most institutions. You're <laughs> no. laughing. Going, going the other direction will take 25, 30 years. Yeah. So, yeah. Let's see. It said four of the 13 hospitals in the study cohort had an increase of 10 percentage points or more in the rate of elective induction. Restricting to these four hospitals, models show an increase in elective induction, but no statistically significant changes for the other outcomes. So in other words, these hospitals with the highest rates of elective induction did not lower the C-section rate, did not change the rate of hypertensive disease and pregnancy, which were the two things. So this analysis did not find a decrease in either unplanned cesarean birth or hypertensive disorders in pregnancy after publication of the ARRIVE trial. Now, you think it should have. Right. Because the ARRIVE trial told us it would. But the the ARRIVE trial itself was a very selective group of people. And what's fascinating about that is that there are a number of possible explanations for why that they didn't find the same thing that the ARRIVE trial found. First, they said, although elective induction rate more than doubled in nulliparous patients at 39 weeks, elective induction remained relatively uncommon. So the the rate of induction was still high, but the uh, elective induction was less. That, That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I might be reading that wrong. And a higher uptake of elective induction may be needed to produce a statistically significant difference in cesarean birth. In other words, their rates were so low that it might not have shown this benefit that the arrived trial showed. Right? I think that they're stretching it there. You're smiling. Yeah. A confirmation bias. The low rate of elective induction may reflect reluctance on the part of clinicians to offer elective term induction, the inability of labor and delivery units to accommodate elective inductions. Or even more importantly, the low uptake from pregnant people, not pregnant with pregnant people, we'll use that word, which may not be surprising given that 
71.5% of eligible pregnant women approached about the ARRIVE trial declined to participate. So remember, seven out of 10 women asked to be in the trial said no. So there's an absolute resistance to being induced. So that you have a bias in your population selection already of people who are okay with being induced. Mm-hmm. All right, so I'm going to skip that because it gets thing, but it gets here to the um, to the precautionary principle again, and just to reiterate because I brought it up three times today. The precautionary principle is a broad, knowledge based, philosophical, and legal approach to innovations with potential for causing harm when scientific knowledge on the matter is lacking. It emphasizes caution, pausing, and review before leaping into new innovations that may prove disastrous. Its critics argue that it is vague, self-canceling, and an obstacle to progress. That may be true, but I'm not sure that their definition of progress means having more mothers and babies affected by something only to find out years later. The principle acknowledges that while the progress of science and technology has often brought great benefit to humanity, it has also contributed to the creation of new threats and risks. It implies that there is a social responsibility to protect the public from exposure to such harm when scientific investigation has found a plausible risk. These protections should be relaxed only if further scientific findings emerge that provide sound evidence that that no harm will result. The ARRIVE trial came out. They said, look what we did. We lowered the C-section rate. We didn't change anything regarding neonatal outcomes, but we lowered the C-section rate. Let's institute this for all of it without any thought as to the downsides of it. This is typical of what research is doing nowadays. They right. have a they have a they have a point that they want to get to, and they're <laughs> going to find a way to get to it. And they're going to and science be damned, you know, ethics be damned. And by the way, in the, although the arrived trial population included only low risk pregnancies, we observed an increase in elective induction across both high and low risk subgroups which suggests that elective induction is being offered on a widespread basis. So again, people are misusing the data in, in the ARRIVE trial. And they also go into talking about ethnicity and race and socioeconomic factors, as you mentioned, Bliss, mm-hmm. because you're so wise. Yeah, you're whimsical and a <laughs> goddess and whimsical. wise. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> Because there's, there, there were big differences in populations. And a lot of it had to do with your insurance. Yeah. They, they noticed a difference in the insurance. Uh, if, you had different ins- if you had good insurance coverage, you were more likely to be, in, you know, to be put into this category. So it's, it's, it's not applicable general, uh, to generalize this to all women. And this is a classic thing. And so I'm glad a paper like this comes out, all right, and says ultimately surmises that the arrived trial a single randomized controlled trial rapidly changed clinical practice in our study population we know that we've yeah. seen it despite an increase in elective inductions among nulliparous patients of 39 weeks to station or later we did not observe changes in cesarean birth or hypertensive disorders of pregnancy our study raises questions about the generalizability of the randomized controlled trial results in this study to other populations and their effect on clinical practice and outcomes so isn't that great? It is great. Who it was, who who did who is behind this paper? Uh, this came out of the Green Journal. It was from an author named Elizabeth Nethery, 
they're from Canada. Okay. And it was presented at the Society for Maternal Fetal Medicine annual meeting in February of 2022. But I'm not sure where, where, what, oh, <laughs> University of British Columbia. There you go. Okay. That's where Great. it came from. Great. But it's just an example of how a study was promoted, marketed, mm-hmm. and then just accepted. Mm-hmm. Because it gets back ultimately to the bottom line principle of a live baby in the bassinet. And all that all that mad all that matters is that. And how the woman feels about it, and how the woman's biology is affected, and how the baby's biology is affected, and how the woman's future baby's biologies are affected, and how it's never considered. The whole naturopathic way, the things, the principles that we discussed are completely ignored in allopathic medicine. This woman is is reduced to a uterus and a fetus inside it, as opposed to looking at the whole person and the whole situation. And if people want that to be their form of medicine, that's their choice. But they ought to know that there's certainly other choices in how to care for yourself. Yeah, and midwifery is certainly one of them. Because midwifery is, from my perspective, and of course your perspective, I'm sure, but my perspective, having lived in both worlds and, and being trained in another way of doing things, so much smarter, so much more in tune with nature. The outcomes are better. Medicine has its role in a very small percentage of women. Mm-hmm. But the rest of women, just like we talked earlier about taking well children to the pediatrician. Yes, there's some wisdom that some pediatricians may have. But most of the time, nobody knows your children better than you, the parent. If your baby's growing out of its clothes into larger clothes, and if your baby is thriving and your baby's sleeping and waking and sucking and and cooing and looking at you and doing all those things. Do you need a well baby checkup? Do you need an obstetrician for your pregnancy? If everything is going smoothly. Right. No, you you, don't. (laughs) No, you don't. Because because I, I would actually state that the average obstetrician will find things wrong with you that aren't really significant but that will make you more uncomfortable and more anxious and more nervous. And you'll be leaving your doctor's appointments more upset than ever needs to happen. And this is a common finding. Now, am I, am I, do I have access to a skewed population of people who complain to me? Sure. But I also lived in that world and I had shared office space with other guys and I took call and I spent a lot of time sitting around labor and delivery at Cedar sinai or out in Ventura County. And I saw these things firsthand. Yeah. In a large academic institution, of one considered of high quality, and then smaller community hospitals where high quality necessarily wasn't uh, a goal. And I saw it, and it didn't matter where I was. Same things were happening in both places, all those places. Yeah. It's the whole cog it's the organization of it all and we're so glad you're you've come to the light you left the dark side and you came to the light <laughs> i can't tell you bliss it's been the best thing that ever happened you know, I know. it's in top five top five of best things that ever happened to me I, you know having children was also 
top five thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, for sure. Podcasting with you is in the top five, probably. Uh, I agree, for sure. And all our amazing fellow travelers and all of the stories that we get and, you know, just the connections that we get to feel with all of these people out there who are, you know, fighting that same fight. It's great. I love it. And they want to listen to what we have to say. I am always, I I don't know, flattery is the right word, but, but I'm Mm -hmm. honored, I guess, Mm -hmm. that people want to continue to listen to us and write us. And, you know, they always start their letters to us about, you know, I listen to you guys. You changed my life. I had the birth that I wanted to. I mean, I just got a letter this morning, a, a message this morning about a VBAC after two who had a home birth and said that she would never have done it if she hadn't found our podcast. And, you know, and and, and admittedly, some other great podcasts out there. But, um, yeah, so when I hear that story, we, that, that changes that life. It changes that baby's life. It changes her other children's lives who got to see her do that. It changes the family members' lives. Some of them are still think she's crazy, but it has to get out there because to continue down the path we're going, where we're following ACOG's guidelines and we're following, you know, NARM or whatever, MIAC or whatever, and we're changing into a medicalized, more and more medicalized system with more and more research papers and stuff coming out with more and more ways to intervene as opposed to not intervene. You know, we need to contra- we need to we need to contraindicate interventions yes. is what we need to do. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we need to do. <laughs> uh okay. Um any last words? Um no. As always, we could we could just chat and chat and chat about this stuff. And hopefully our uh fellow travelers found this dialogue interesting i really enjoyed everything that you shared with us today and thanks for doing that work we'll be back with a topic next week okay <laughs> topic next week are we gonna do ectopics next week yeah ex- okay ex- we'll, we'll topic do, for next week yeah. we'll do ectopic pregnancy next week along with a lot of other stuff meanwhile go enjoy your backyard <laughs> i'm unpacking and, unpacking unpacking and i'll see you next week and sh- shortly thereafter i'll see you in louisville can't wait All right. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Birthing Instincts podcast. We know that we all lead busy lives, so we are extremely grateful that you give us an hour of your time each week. If you enjoyed this episode, please share. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for the latest updates and reviews. To help others join us, you can find Dr. Stu at Birthing Instincts and Bliss at Birthing Bliss Midwifery on Instagram. 